Do you find yourself thinking that you're not good enough or that you're not lovable? Many people hide a dark side that they feel that if others knew their secrets, it would be detrimental to their relationships. It doesn't need to be that way at all. This is where words can't reach. Shedding light on our dark side with your host, Dr. Madeline DeLittle, can help. It's time for a frank and open discussion about the things that are bothering us and say what needs to be said. Dr. DeLittle and her guest experts are here to help you understand and provide advice. Now, here is Dr. Madeline DeLittle. Hello and welcome to Voice American Empowerment Channel. My name is Dr. Madeline DeLittle and you are listening to Where Words Can't Reach, Shedding Light on Our Dark Side. We've had thousands of listeners uh, listening in and uh, I'd like to welcome all of you today and to my wonderful guest, Sarah Edmondson. Hello, Sarah. Hi, Madeline. How are you? Hi. Really good. Lovely to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. We're looking today at... um, we're, we're looking today at your experience of being in a cult and, and not just the, 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 the story, but actually the impact of that in terms of guilt and shame that you have been experiencing since you came out of that. Um, but I just want to tell the listeners before we dive in, Sarah, just a little bit about you and then I want you to take it, take it away and uh, give us the context of, of uh, your story, which you've... Um, actually written in a book called Scarred. Is that right? That's correct. And it's available, what, on Amazon? It's available everywhere on Amazon and at, at um, Indigo and Chapters, all the major uh, major bookstores. Mm. Yeah. And it's called Scarred, the true story of how I escaped Nexium, the cult that bound my life. Whew. Yeah. All right. So let me just let me just tell the folks a little bit about you, and then we'll <clears throat> we'll move on. So you are a mum and a wife, and a, and a past member with past underlined member of a cult called Nexium, and you were actually a recruiter for this organization for what about ten years, something like that. Twelve years total. Twelve years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then uh, one thing led to another, and then before you knew it. There you were having um, an experience that I don't even know if you want to talk about the, 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 the scarred experience. I know this is still very tender for you, so I won't push you on that one. But anyway, you landed up coming out of this cult and um, the leader is now awaiting sentencing and you have uh, subsequently helped other people to come out of this cult as well. So why don't you start wherever you want to start in terms of the context for, for what happened and in terms of the guilt and the shame that leads you to be on the show today? Sure. Yeah, thank you, Madeline. I think there's there's two things I wanted to say about, about guilt and shame. Um, and I think the most obvious, at least for me, is I was me waking up to the reality, uh, this would have been two and a half years ago, that I was, in fact, in a cult um, and not a group of humanitarians that were changing the world as we were, you know, as many of us believed uh, to be. Um, and the first thing that happens when people wake up, and it's the same thing from what I understand of, you know, being an abusive relationship, there's the guilt and shame of oh my god i've been duped and mm. how did i not see 
the red flags because as soon as you wake up, it's very clear. And it's, um, at least for me and the other people I've, I've spoken to, and as well from other cults, it's there's this um, identity that you form when you're in the group. And it, you're so, at least for me, I was so invested and so attached and it was like everything to me. Um, but I, I couldn't see what was bad about it because I was being lied to and I wasn't part of the inner circle and all these bad things were happening back at headquarters. But when, when you, when I figured it out that the leader was not who he purported himself to be and, and it was all a big con, um, there was a, a series of dominoes that sort of fell for me very, almost within minutes. And I, I, all of a sudden saw the years, 12 years that I'd been in where no one ever did an intervention with me or pulled me aside and was very serious except for one person towards the end. But up until that time, people had made sort of jokey comments about, you know, oh, Sarah and her cult. And I was like, yeah, okay, if I'm in a cult, well, you know, it's a, a cult of happy, successful people. <laughs> you know, what's what's the bad thing? And they'd even trained us to deal with questions like that. Um, are you getting a fuzzy so- sound? Or is that mm-hmm. just me? Mm, I think we're no? okay. Okay, we're okay. Um, I just wanted so, to stop you there. Yeah. You talked about an intervention. Do you mean from people, from family, from friends on the outside of the cult? Correct. Yeah, no one had ever done an intervention with me to get me out over the 12 years. People made jokes about it being a cult. But to, to instantly, in one moment, recognize the leader is a con man, sociopath, narcissistic, sex addicted, power hungry, you know, I could go on with Mm. expletives about Keith Ranieri, and to recognize that all of those people were right, that I was in a cult, and I, Mm. you know, was part of something bad, and also to recognize how bad it was, all Mm. in one moment, and also, we didn't even realize how bad it was, that wasn't even revealed to us until the trial, when more stuff was unearthed, but all of this to say the level of shame that I had to, um, you know, my husband calls it eating a big shit sandwich. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't ask you. I didn't ask you if I could swear. I'm, I apologize. That's okay. That's all right. That's very appropriate. Okay. And it's, that's what it, that's what it, it is. It's like, you have to eat it and go, Oh my gosh, I, I participated in this and, and the, but the, but the, the part that, that I think is interesting, and I'm curious to know your thoughts as, um, you know, as a doctor and a therapist and working with people with shame, is my, my cult therapist really helped me to see that, like, you know, we didn't know. We were, we were lied to. We were deceived. We were, you know, we were, it's not like we had the information and then chose to, um ignore it we were we were being manipulated we were being brainwashed we were being indoctrinated and so I I, you know grappling with that with that shame and then also trying to be easy on myself Uh as somebody who was um you know emotionally abused and and manipulated and I I don't even want to use the word victimized but there there you know the people who weren't in the know were victims of a con um so, yeah, there, there's a, a lot of shame with, um, and I think this is also why a lot of people, don't, you don't hear about people who've left cults because they don't talk about it. They don't, um, or abusive relationships, or 
um, dynamics, you know, it's not just cults, it's anywhere where there's a, a, an abuse of power, people are ashamed that they got involved in the first place. Mm-hmm. There's, they, there's a lot of parallels here in, in, in terms of domestic abuse, mm-hmm. like very similar around not, you, I, I, in your book, I think you refer to the term gaslighting. Can yes. you explain that? Because that's, that has this, this drip, drip effect. Can you, can you talk about sure. that? Sure. Yeah. And you know what? I'd never <clears throat> even heard of gaslighting until I was leaving Nexium, And then somebody explained it to me and I was like, oh my gosh, this was ha- that was happening to us all the time. And I had to, you know, look it up. Um, but basically it's, you know, manipulating someone uh, psychologically to have them question their sanity. And it comes from, I don't know if, do you know, do you know where it comes from the play? Have you heard about this? No, tell me. Okay. So it comes from a play. Um, and I'm blanking from when it was from, um, but it's a, it's a, it's a play that this is where the term originated where the, the, there's a husband and wife and the husband wants to make the, his wife crazy. And essentially is it, it, this is before the, the era of electricity and, and the lighting is with gas and he mm. lowers the light and the gas um, or it lowers the uh, lamp so that it's too dark to read. And he's read, he's pretending to read and the wife is going, I can't read. I can, it's too dark. And he goes, what's, why can't you read? It's perfectly fine. And oh he keeps ch- changing, changing it with the gas, um, changing the levels of the light. And she, so she feels like she's crazy. So it makes, she makes it her, turns mm-hmm. it on her. And it, it, it's gaslighting is um, a very a broad term for different, different types of uh, manipulation where the, the, the person who's being gaslit questions their own perception their sanity their memory um and their own you know their own experience of something and that was uh, one of the main things that was done to us is that any time i were was to say hey i'm not okay with this or uh, any any concern was always turned back on me as this was my issue and why i needed to stay with the program and um you know keep investing more in my growth which leads me back to my other point on shame, which is that I think that a lot of cults and even, like you said, parallels with domestic um, violence is that people prey on a very natural source of shame as the, as the, the means to get somebody in a relationship like that or in a, in a group like Nexium. Um, I don't know if that makes, makes sense, but it's, it's uh, the shame was used in Nexium to keep going to uh, as a form of you know this this whatever the person was dealing with feeling guilty about that as a as a method to have the person invest more um, in their growth and spend more money on more courses to evolve whatever thing they felt badly about which I think is is awful but also that's what um, you know so many people have something that they feel shameful about right from their childhood mm-hmm. or. Even just a basic like I don't I'm not worthy or I'm not lovable, or whatever. Yeah, well, we we know from uh, other these other pro other shows that uh, here on Voice America that I've been uh, looking at is that um, there's a that we all have shame, but there's healthy shame and toxic shame. Mm. And he was playing and seemed amplifying perhaps some of the sort of marginal healthy shames and and using those and turning them to actually create you more dependent. 
by the sound of things, more dependent on the program because you needed more. You, you, they, they somehow were breaking you down, and therefore you needed to stay in the program more. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And ironically, we were taught that having dependency on anything is bad, substance or a person. But basically, he systematically unplugged those dependencies and had us all dependent only on the, the, the group for everything. The answers to everything, community, everything, income. So that's where pe- why people had a hard time leaving is because once those other dependencies were cut, we were only reliant on Nexium. Was it intentional, Sarah? Uh, for Keith? Mm-hmm. Yes, 100%. I, I believe he's been planning this for a long time since he started. He, he's a, a mastermind manipulator sociopath, and, and he even taught us the nature of sociopath sociopathic behavior in the curriculum so we could see it out in the world, never considering that he, he was one himself, um, which is also something that apparently sociopaths loves to, love to do, love to, to do things right under people's noses. Um, and he taught us that sociopaths love to um, do a long game. They love they love to draw out the destruction. What do you call it? A a long in the long game. The long the game. Long game. The yeah, long the long game. game. The long yeah. So as then I remember this so clearly. He said, you know, if if you're somebody who's upset with your neighbor and you want to get back at them, if you if you're just like moderately what they called suppressive, similar to Scientology. So somebody who feels good at someone else's pain. Um, if if you're moderately suppressive, if your if your neighbor is whatever more successful than you, you could you know scratch their car or something, and then you'd feel better, right? You can imagine mm-hmm. that. Yeah. So yes. right. So somebody who's into the long game might slowly poison their neighbor's dog over time. <sighs> or set up a long um, thing where the where the person's like slowly tortured, you know, in some way. And that's he he taught us that that's that's more pleasurable for for a sociopath. So I believe, and it seems as it was revealed in the trial that that was something that he was what he was doing, and and slowly slowly harming people. Like you know the the story. Uh, the, one of the reasons I wrote Scarred is because. Many people say things like, and similar with an abusive relationship, like you're just saying, I, I would never, that would, could never happen to me. I could never get into a cult. I would never date somebody violent or I would never blah, blah, blah. And, and when people do that, A, it, it cuts off, you know, a type of humanitarian experience to imagine how it could. Mm-hmm. And that, that breaks us down. But also it's, it's, they don't understand how it happens. And I want, I wanted to create a template for people to understand how these how these abuses of power happen in the world and how people get involved and it relates to shame because people don't like I said uh, at the beginning people people if they do get out of groups and some people never do they won't talk about it because they're too ashamed and I I decided I wanted to overcome that and speak about it so I could help other people and hopefully prevent them from getting involved in something like I did so it seems that there's a logic. Well, he was, he was, it was abusive relationship. It was very slow, this drip, 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 long game, as you call it. It seems logical that 
you wouldn't feel ashamed because of the, the, the manipulation. And yet there is shame. There is shame, even though logically you can say, you could say, um, I, I was, I was brainwashed. I didn't, I didn't have control. I did, it wasn't my choices by the end. Anyway, it wasn't your choices. And yet there is shame. So it's not a sort of a logical process, is it? To, 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 um, to transform this sense of shame. It's not a logical thing that you can talk about. No, it's not. And, and ultimately, like I look at myself in the, in the, in the spectrum of people's, you know, how people got involved. Some people took a five day training and moved on with their life. And, and, and I oftentimes wish that I had done that too, just taken the five day, which is the initial course that people take when they when they go through an axiom and then there's other people that were even more involved than me that moved to albany or uh where the headquarters um were and you know joined the the harem of the leader and became his spiritual wife and that was way more involved than i was so i'm somewhere Mm -hmm. you know somewhere in the middle there but i was a recruiter i did open a center in vancouver um so i have to look at okay what were the choices i made and what red flags did I miss? And of course, everyone now looks back at the red flags, myself included, and said, well, it's so obvious mm-hmm. now. But at the time, I, the, I think the part that, you know, I have to separate, where was I victimized and where was I lied to and, and information was withheld from me to make informed decisions? And then also what red flags did I miss because I was choosing something that was, you know, in some way satiative for me. In other words, like... I I ignored red flags from the beginning, from day one, where I felt uncomfortable and decided to keep going because I trusted the person who invited me, you know, and I, and I was seeking community and I was seeking belonging. And that's the part where it's also a bit of a, it's tricky because in Nexium, one of the good things that I liked about it is they taught us to seek personal responsibility for all your choices. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, is good when something happens in your life, if you blame everybody else versus going, okay, what were the choices I made and, and how did I author this? Like, that's something that I th- is a tool that I think is can be beneficial and isn't something that Nexium created. It's, <laughs> that's a, you know, that's separate, right? Yeah. But, um, you know, how do I, how do I do that? I mean, I, I could... I could use those tools and say, I am responsible for all of this and I'm not a victim. Um, but that alleviates responsibility of the people who did illegal things who are now in jail, <laughs> you know? So it's, it's a tricky, it's a tricky discussion. Yes, it is. And um, I just want to, I don't know if this is too, you don't have to answer this if it's too tender. Mm-hmm. But ha- it's, you're talking very um, clearly and articulately, but how has it been for you when you talk like this? What happens for you? Are you being re-triggered every time, or are you are you growing from this? So where are you at in terms of your the 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 impact of all of this? This is twelve years of your life. Where are you at with it, mm. sort of personally and physiologically? It's a great question. Um, today I'm good. You know, I, I'd say I have I have good days and bad days, and mostly good days. And then other days, I you know, it, it kind of depends on how I'm doing 
in my life and my sleeping. I have a, a seven month old baby and a five year old, and you know that can sometimes prevent good sleep. Yes. And that in combination with talking about it, you know, I I think I I thought that when I wrote the book, it would be very cathartic, and then I could move on, and the story would be in in print, and then people could just read that and then I wouldn't have to talk about it anymore. <laughs> um, and I, I think that I thought that I was more healed than I was. Um, the, you know, I, I had very bad PTSD when I first woke up uh, from the, you know, the stop drinking the Kool-Aid as it were mm-hmm. um, with Nexium, And that lasted for really bad PTSD for a couple of weeks, but like, I, what I've recognized is that that's something that kind of it seems, and maybe you have a bit, have a a way to heal this. But it seems like that's something that will always be there. But I have to learn how to not trigger it. It seems like it's 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 like a trauma that's just there and like a latent thing, and you just learn to not do certain things that bring it up. But well, well, my my sense is, if I can just yeah, take one me. minute, is that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it is always there, but the, the the sting gets taken out. Yes. So it's it's a memory, but it's not a, a painful memory, and it it doesn't set you back. Mm-hmm. But, but we don't want to forget this because it's part of you. But we mm-hmm. can t- we can take the energy out of it so that it doesn't it doesn't continue to harm and and it, it be intrusive in in bizarre times and day you know times of day that it just sort of comes out it doesn't ha- it can be under your control rather than it be it controlling you that's my experience of 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 um trauma and ptsd I so think no that's right yeah i was asking that's good and i think that that's where i i've been for the last two and a half years but i did have a re-triggering about a month ago when i was doing press for the book and I think it was a combination of not sleeping and doing multiple interviews a day that I did get very re-triggered and had another like another two weeks of another P- almost as bad as when I left PTSD couldn't sleep couldn't eat was very on edge super hyper paranoid vigilant over vigilant with my kids OCD my OCD reared up I was like wiping down everything with sanitizing cloths Mm. Um, it was not good it was really not good but as soon as I slept I felt fine again but I I do want that and I think it's possible and then we can obviously keep you know keep that conversation going offline about how to how to take the sting off because I want to be able Mm. to talk about it and I want to be be able to educate through through my story and um yeah i I, overall i do feel like i'm glad that i went public with it and um i know we were kind of skimming around the the topic but scar does refer to that i got um branded and Mm -hmm. i went through a ceremony in at the end of it which is part of what obviously you know woke me up that i was um, you know, it's kind of a, it's a it's a crazy thing. I'll leave I'll leave the I'll leave those details for anyone who wants to to read the book. But that uh, finding out that I was I was essentially tricked, and they the people who who brought me into this group um, put Keith's initials on my body, and that's something that I recently decided to have removed through a surgical through a mm. through surgery, um, having it taken off and. Two and a half years later, to have have it gone is a huge relief, and yet I needed it. It's 
there having the scar on my body was the was the reason the as far as I know that the FBI got involved and you know the fact that I was able to say this happened to me and to prove physically that there was this physical abuse versus emotional abuse which is very hard to prove yes but you know got the in the uh, investigation going so I f- I'm glad that that happened and yet going back to shame like that that's something that most people aren't going to take the time to you know read the book or understand how cults work and just go well that's she's an idiot <laughs> you know that why would you let that happen not understanding like you said the slow burn the drip i think the metaphor most people have heard and understand is is the concept of the frog who if you, if you put a frog in boiling water, it jumps out. But if you put a frog in cold water and heat it up slowly, the frog will die mm-hmm. because he can't feel the heat. And that is what Keith did to people. He, If someone had said to me, hey, join a personal development group and work on your goals and have Keith's initials burned into your body, <laughs> would you want that? You know, of course not. That's ridiculous. Sign me up. Yeah. Yeah. Just... Yeah. 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 It was, it was totally, it was totally, um, a massive manipulation from the get-go is that what you're saying that it was right so. from the beginning right from the beginning because the very first thing that they they said to us uh on day one of the five day is and there, unfortunately there's truth in this is that if you feel uncomfortable there's something to look at there and that most people won't face areas in their life because it's so uncomfortable and they have what's called the urge to bolt so they you know and this is yes you know, no pain, no gain. If you're gonna, if you're gonna, fa- if you're gonna go through some growth, there's gonna be discomfort. That is true. However, there's also something called intuition, and your into my intuition on day one said get out, and I stayed because the person who involved, who enrolled me he said you're going to feel uncomfortable. Stay till day three, and by day three there had been enough indoctrination and. Um, manipulation which i've since been studying and i find fascinating how how brainwashing actually works it's not a vague thing it's a very systematic process that keith taught the head trainers to do and i don't even think the head trainers knew that they were doing it oh so they were in the dark too yep uh, well they i think we, what we all thought is that we were in some ways brainwashing but brainwashing for better like they would say like we're yeah. we're we're making your belief system better for you so that you could function and uh, have the best life possible whereas Keith was doing that and slipping in his own indoctrination for his own benefit to get people more dependent on him and all sorts of different things so it was a mixture of really great tools that help people mixed in with some terrible um, new beliefs that benefited him Sarah, let's uh, let's go to break now and continue this uh, intriguing story uh, when we get back. Thanks so much. Stay on the line, okay? Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. If you want to know more about how to work with children and adults to transform shame, depression, loss, and anxiety, order Dr. DeLittle's book, Where Words Can't Reach, Neuroscience and the Satir Model in the Sand Tray. The book is available online from Dr. DeLittle's website, wherewordscannotreach.com. Dr. DeLittle also conducts workshops and can come to your workplace or organization. 
If you wish to have Dr. DeLittle come and do a two-day workshop on an introduction to neuroscience and sit here in the sand tray, please contact her at mdelittle at gmail.com. As we age, there are certain situations which we all must face. Care and treatment don't always measure up to what it's supposed to be, and there are many questions that need to be answered. Tune in to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy with hosts Phyllis Amon and Rubina Chaudhry. Seniors deserve to have a more fulfilling life, and we'll bring you the answers that you need to hear to make it happen. Listen Mondays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Empowerment. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Where Words Can't Reach, shedding light on our dark side. We'd love to hear from you with any stories, suggestions, or questions by sending an email to mthelittle at gmail.com. Here again is Dr. Madeline DeLittle. Hello and welcome back to Where Words Can't Reach, Shedding Light on Our Dark Side. Um, my guest today is Sarah Edmondson and we've been talking before the break about her um, whistleblowing on a cult called Nexium and the subsequent impact that it's had on her in terms of guilt and shame. So Sarah, welcome back. Thank you. Okay, so... Um, yeah, what, you, you gained some some incredible skills and personal growth from this program. Is that right? You know, I did. And that, that's definitely something that I've had to come to terms with in, in getting out is looking at what did I gain and, and, and what can I use moving forward? I think there's a lot of people who left that threw the baby out with the bathwater when they realized what they were part of. And, and, for me, I, I after some time, I just couldn't do that. I'd spent too much time and too much money. I had to figure out what was good um, uh, from it so that I could move forward and not feel like it was a total waste of my time because that was mm-hmm. that just added to the shame. To go, well, not only did I make this massive mistake, but I also wasted my 30s. I was there from 28 to age 40. Mm-hmm. So... Um, part of doing that for me is to figure out what specific tools I liked and where they came from uh, originally so that I didn't feel like I was using something that Keith Ranieri and Nancy Salzman, the, the people who created Nexium, I wasn't using anything that they created proprietary to them. Does that make sense? So you, you don't sort of, you know, we know about mirror neurons now and how we take in at these other people for good and bad. Like your five-year-old will take in all your words and your mannerisms and they take it in and it becomes theirs. That's the same with negative experiences too. So do you find yourself sounding like them or speaking like them? Is it sort of in yeah, you? I think <clears throat> it is and that's something that I've, I'm still rooting out if I um, – say something or, or feel something that I have to question, is that is that a Sarah belief or is that a is that a Nexium belief? Where did I where did I come up with that? Why do I think that to be true? Um, uh, 
and 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 then if if I'm not sure, I have to, like it's just something. It's great actually being married to a former member because we can talk about it. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So he, I, you you yeah. met him in the program. I met my husband in the program. We had we had my, our first son in the program, and then um, another child uh, seven months ago. But he he's somebody I, I bounce things off of, and I also have. Um, a therapist who specializes in cult, specifically mm-hmm. narcissistic, abusive um, dynamics, and and he's very well versed in in all things Nexium and Keith Raniere, and which is great to be able to talk to somebody and have him uh, break down things that a norm, maybe a, not a, say a normal therapist, but a therapist who hadn't had a cult um, background. And specifically, he was actually in a cult in the in the 70s and 80s. And, oh. And, yeah. And can, got the and, T-shirt. <laughs> yeah, he's got the T-shirt and uh, can very quickly dismantle things that um, I would maybe, maybe approach from a different angle in normal therapy. Like, a, and I do, I do see a therapist as well who's also very helpful and just in a different way. But I may bring him something like, you know, hey, I'm struggling with, and this is something to answer your question from earlier, is how, how am I doing? Um, mm-hmm. I will say one of my biggest challenges since leaving is interpersonal dynamics, um, just challenges with friends that or family that may normally um, be easy to, to work or to deal with or just very, I just, it's almost like I just don't have the emotional capacity to handle if that makes sense. I just can't normally if I, if there was some sort of rupture or problem, I would sit down and be like, Oh, this happened. Like, can we process it? And now I'm just like, I, I just can't, I don't, I I'm too, I'm too raw to go mm-hmm. through any kind of further pain or, you know, if somebody's upset yeah. with me or finding out that like, you know, somebody doesn't, you know, like how I handle things or they don't like how I went to the press and, and, uh, or whatever, some judgment. I can't. I don't. I don't have the capacity to 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 broach it. It's just sort of more like I'm just going to have to let that friendship go, which is really um, sad for me because relationships are hugely important. What about, that, what about yeah, trust? Trust is very tenuous. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, um, the I, I have very wonderful close friends and family who've been incredibly incredibly supportive and I'm that trust is there 100% but new things when people invite me to a group or to oh, yes. a, to anything I'm I'm very skeptical I I see cults everywhere I see in cultic behavior and bad dynamics and and I think and also I think there's a lot of groups that are maybe not as destructive as Nexium was they're not branding women but they're equally as um, long-term destructive in Vancouver. There's a lot of personal development programs that I think are deceptive and manipulative and, and not good. So I don't, tr- I don't trust a lot of that stuff, mm-hmm. which is too bad because I, I, I do want to keep growing as a person and I love personal development, but at the same time, I'm, I'm kind of like, you know, I'm good, I'm good as I am <laughs> yeah. because yeah. of that trust issue. <laughs> Yeah, it, I I wonder if if you have a way of describing. This sounds a bit bit weird, but your your own shame, what it looks like, what it feels like, what it, you know, what it what it. If there was a metaphor for shame, for your shame, because everyone's mm. shame is different, and what I'm learning from this show is it's 
that it's like oil. It sticks to everything. And it's uh, it's not just a feeling because it affects the body, it affects the mind. Hmm. You know, do you have a way of describing so that people can get a sense of, so they can feel what you, what you go through? Yeah, I guess it's it's um, kind of a pit in my stomach of like a like a nauseous kind of ugh um, feeling, and it it comes back with I experience it in the form of almost like a movie with images because I'm very visual, where I think back to moments where I could have made a different decision, mm. and I kind of replay those. Um, you know, A, in the moment of the branding where I, I could have ran out into the street and, you know, tried to find my way home. Or in even back to the first day of my training where I was fighting the head trainer thinking, this is bullshit. <laughs> and, 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 and wishing that I, I'd left, you know. Um, and, then, and then thanks, I think, to, my, to the to people I've been working with, I, have, I, I, I try to catch that quickly and remind myself that I couldn't have made a different decision because I, I, I didn't. I couldn't have made a different decision because I didn't have the information I have now. And mm-hmm. I think that, you know, of course, in hindsight, it's 2020 and people re- relive those, mo- or at least when I relive those moments, I feel badly about myself and that shame is like, it just feels really gross. It just feels like, oh, I did that. I, I wish I hadn't. And then I have to remember and kind of retrain my wiring and going, if I hadn't lived these 12 years, I wouldn't be here right now mm. in this moment. And in this moment, as shitty as things have been, this is my life and I love my life and I love my family and I love being able to have a real sense of, of meaningful purpose, which is ironic because it's what I entered ESP in the first place to do was to take these trainings and help people and, and change the world. Now, granted I was, that was naive and um, not what it was, but that's why, that's why I joined and, Ironic, again, ironically, the tools and the in the training did help people, and I love to help people. And I'm and you now continue. I'm continuing yeah. to help people. You're continuing then, to do it. Yeah, and trying to, and and that does give me meaning and purpose. So I I feel like out of that pain, um, you know, it's it's really driven me into a direction that I'm I'm happy with, and and. Um, I, so that's it's sort of like a I don't stay there for very long. I'm not I'm not the type of person who's prone to depression or to 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 stay in a negative place. I'm a very optimistic, very positive person. I think, mm. um, but I would say that I, I have seen other friends of mine and peers that went through the same um, thing as me. Some of them were branded, some of them were not. Some of them just spent lots of time and energy with the company and. Some people are very depressed and 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 very much stuck in that spot. And I'm, I'm, oh. yeah, and, and and haven't faced it. And I think part of me, part of me being public and talking about it is me facing it and saying, "Hey, this happened, and I'm human, and I made a mistake." And even saying mistake 
I can say I feel okay saying that, but I have my like I've had experts say you didn't make a mistake. You relied to, <laughs> you know, like you you can't say you made a mistake no. when you've been when because it were wasn't deceived. conscious. Yeah, no, it wasn't conscious yeah. thing. See, to, so, to, yeah. to add to this incredible discussion with you, Sarah, is that we are continually shaped by who we hang out with. Continually. Mm-hmm. From from sperm to the worm, we we uh, you know literally in the womb we are impacted by uh, the our mother's um, energy and stress mm-hmm. and so forth. So we are constantly being shaped, and we don't know it. And we are you know it it goes on because we we are we are beings that want connection. We want connection more than anything. It's actually a biological imperative to be connected. So it makes sense to me that you would that that folks would want that kind of connection. And then what happens is it's very subtle, but you take on a lot of the other people around you that you you know unconsciously through the mirror neurons and that's the you know the science of what's what's happened to you mm-hmm. is right and and it, it's not at a conscious level mm-hmm. as i say so so it was done and it looked the, the problem was it was well it's it was looked like it was done through nurturing and in fact it was another message going on underneath which was very harmful and so it's not a conscious thing. I'm just putting an, a scientific slant on this. It's not a conscious mm-hmm. thing, and it's done, and it's not uh, something that can be con- you can control necessarily. It's because it's because it's an we are wired to take in other people. We're wired, <laughs> otherwise yes. we would be we wouldn't survive as a as a race. So we're wired to take folks in, and that that's the piece that was manipulated that was intentionally done was to take to to use this our human ability to just take yes. us in as if that's, it was yeah no i was going to say that's exactly what i've uh, been studying recently there's this book called um combating cult mind control by stephen hassan and he talks about he's got this model called the bite model which is specifically how mind control works and how it's it system it starts with modifying and uh, controlling your behavior then and your the information your thoughts and emotions a bite the bite model and that's the first thing is that it, it in the in the training we are designed to look at, in, yeah not consciously take on the people around you and mm-hmm. and the people and, and also because of the ranking system that was so prevalent in nexium is we, we i wanted to be like the people that were above me in rank and 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 they were they were they were there as inspiration and modifying our behavior slowly with certain practices and and, and things that were benign like journaling and you know uh, starting to sleep less so that we could achieve our goals and 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 then slowly sleeping less and less and less so we were sleep deprived and not not thinking clearly and things like that so it's again the slow burn in combination mm-hmm. with the mirror neurons mm-hmm. in combination with um, something I understood that happens with the, in these types of trainings where they can put you in almost like a trance-like state by forcing attention and having you be sort of bored <laughs> and then with repetition. So these, again, that, that could be really, that's good if you want to like train somebody to do something good and that, that method could be uh, beneficial, but it's, it's, you know, someone's got bad intent. It can also be very destructive. Mm-hmm. Whoa! So, so how, how can um, 
our listeners, and we have, as I said earlier, thousands of folks listening in, how can they uh, find this strength, or is this a bit of a cliche, to do what you've done and to, I mean, we're hearing now in the media about the whistleblower and, mm-hmm. the, you know, in the United States, and, and but to have the strength to know you know, once you see what's going on that's wrong, to have that strength to say, okay, this is, got, I've got to do something about this. Because this is, this is a lonely place to be in. It is, it is a lonely place. And I, I also feel like there is a, a new wave or a zeitgeist of, of a culture now where it's becoming more and more accepted to speak up. And I, you know, since since telling my story on this global level, with all you know, um, all these interviews and, and the book and whatnot, people have come out of the woodwork and literally said, "I'm in a group. I need to expose it. What do I do?" Oh. And I'm, you know, scared and honored and um, and feel like crazy sense of responsibility for all of these people who are in similar situations but I think that I think this is the time it's like it's a new era of and it's not just for not just women that are being Mm -hmm. abused although that has been a a trend recently and I think it's amazing but there's all men women children doesn't this these practices happen to everyone and I think without, well, I think the shame is going to exist anyway, but how do you transform it? Or like you said, how do you take the sting out of the trauma? How do you, how do you experience shame and speak up? I think it's just, I mean, for me personally, because I brought so many people into the group, I just felt it was my my responsibility and it was Mm -hmm. the right thing to do. Um, Which is back to your other question about what, you know, what do I take out of this 12 years? Ironically, and Keith obviously didn't come up with this, but he, he did teach us in the trainings. The when you you know put your head down at the end of the night and then at the end of your life too, when you have your last moments, you have to ask yourself, how did you live your life? Do you do you feel good about how you lived? And and what is what is the right way to live for you? What are your own ethics? And what is the right thing to do? What is right mm-hmm. action? And these are things we talked about. And one of the things I loved about the training is is thinking about. You know who who is the ideal version of me of Sarah, and what's the what's the right thing to do? And in the moment where I was either going to slip away from the group quietly, or you know say something, mm-hmm. and I I and I decided that was the right thing to do was to speak up, uh, and that was a that was a you know massive decision, and I and I had no idea what the ramifications were going to be. At that time, I, I was facing potentially getting sued and, you know, possibly being framed, which the uh, Claire Bronfman did try to do. She had tried to have me arrested um, wow. to silence me. Um, and, and then all of those things were incredibly scary, but it didn't matter because I had to stop women from being branded and from this group from continuing. And I, when we decided, and it wasn't just me, there was about five of us who decided to, to speak publicly in the New York Times, um, we had we didn't even know how bad uh, Keith was treating people. Like we knew we knew enough that we needed to we knew we needed to stop it, but there was even more that was you know revealed later. Um, so, 
So if I, you I had a tangent. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, it's okay. Tangents are lovely. If so, if you hadn't got out, this would still be going on. I mean, I don't know, but possibly. And I, I, I think that um, the way that that Keith amped up his need for for more women and more power and more sex, it probably would have imploded at some point. I'm guessing. Um, mm. It was a very sloppy execution of this plan to to brand people and to have the secret group and i mean it it was you know not, not clever not not clever subtle not not subtle no, no no like people thought that we were in a cult before this was for sure I, I said that to lauren when i when i left i was like you know for people we've always had a bad reputation like when i was in the group it was always even hard to recruit people because you know people would say well you know, they'd look online and see some article, which I always thought naively was a smear campaign. And they'd say, this is weird and culty. And I'd say, you know, no, it's not that. And I can see how it looks that way and, and have some, you know, reason. Say, so we already have bad PR. Like, you're, do you think that culting people? Yeah. I mean, yeah. sorry, sorry. Do you think branding, branding people is going, going to improve that image? I mean, you guys, like, it's really, you know... Yeah, they are too sloppy, as you say. It wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't even clever anymore. So we oh, don't have. M- Go I'm on. Sorry, I thought of one thing. Yeah. We, with, uh, that relates to shame because because uh, I was thinking about why did Keith amp up, and I think going back to his shame, um, from what I understand from Dan Shaw, who's he's the the therapist I was mentioning, who specializes in narcissism. Um, he he speaks about how Keith. As a kid, and this is something that I think is really interesting in terms of child development, and you could speak more to it as a as a proper doctor. Um, but I think that looking at his his upbringing and the way he had a very he had, did not have a close like an unattached relationship with his like a poor attachment with his father and his mother, uh-huh. and his his father wasn't around, and he had a resentment towards his mother not giving him enough love or attention, and that in combination with him feeling like an out, like he was a nerd. He was a very, he was a nerdy boy and didn't fit in. And then was quite intelligent and got um, sort of singled out for that and was told he was brilliant or whatever. And I think that went, to, that power went to his head and he found a way to um, garner attention from women at a very young age and then developing certain smarts and intelligence. And I think it escalated from there. But mm-hmm. I think he has his own. Um, Dan calls it his own impotency, his own lack of potency, yes. and 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 inner not good enough, which we all have, you know, and to some degree, like not whatever enough, right? And it, whatever that is for the person, not lovable or not good enough or smart, whatever the thing is. And I yeah. think his was so bad and deep and dark, it fueled him to take this trajectory that that we now see as a sociopath, which. I've yeah. sort of casually studied is this almost same upbringing as um, David Koresh from the Branch Davidians in Waco, Texas, mm. and all a number of different, um, you know, uh, cult leaders and mass murderers uh, uh, or people, sex offenders have a very similar upbringing. And I think that's to tie it back into shame. Uh, I I don't I don't know how to how to what the answer is. I just think it's interesting to see how these how these how these men start off and then and then have to be uh 
you know, um, develop, use power and control to, to cover up that, that deep mm-hmm. shame hole. I think we're seeing that more in the world at the moment. Mm-hmm. But, but, but um, so I would say, use the term wounded, profoundly mm-hmm. wounded in that, in that disconnection from from the, his parents and so he in his way he was trying to get connection but it was a wounded connection and a very harmful one yes and harming harming others in the way that he'd been harmed yes Whew. okay wow how are you sarah how are you doing <laughs> don't want to be responsible for upsetting you for the no, rest I'm of the okay. day i'm okay i and back to your other question like how do i handle this i have to i actually really enjoy talking about it i find it therapeutic but i also afterwards i have to you know go for a walk or you know do some smudging or you know something yeah. to kind of change the energy because it is so dark it's and yeah. so I feel like I don't really notice it when I'm talking about it, but then it affects me later kind of to... It, it is dark and, and we're shedding light on this dark side. And mm-hmm. and so the, the, the light is is what for you? What is the light? The light is my family. Mm-hmm. Um, and the light is is um, is knowing that that perhaps by talking about it, other people won't have to go through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's difficult to even find the words to that, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I can hear it. Mm-hmm. Do you have a, a takeaway for the listeners? I mean, you've, you've given so much already, but is there one thing that you want to share with the listeners for them to, to, to really take in and take away? I think, yeah, I think that if there's, you know, I'd love for people to educate themselves on how these groups work I, I wish that I had had that in, in high school so I wouldn't have um, you know missed the red flags which are are textbook mm. they're really you know what I went through is a textbook example of how cults work um, from love bombing people to the feel included to you know c- cutting off information from the media all the things that happened to me are a textbook and I, I hope that people learn those things and educate their kids um and i think to to not you know if, if they catch themselves judging people who've gone through something like that yes you know that's that's normal it's normal to do that i probably would have done the same had i heard this story and not not understood um how it happened but it's it's a it's a limitation because these things exist and it's not just cults or abuses of power in organization they're in mm-hmm. government they're in relationships they're in family and if you understand gaslighting and manipulation it won't it, you can prevent it and and not get in too deep yeah sarah do you want people to write to you and if so where would they get a hold of you Sure. Um, I guess probably um, through through my website. My website has my email, uh, sarahedmondson.com. It's S-A-R-A-H-E-D-M-O-N-D-S-O-N.com. And also I'm on Instagram, same name. Um, That's a good way to reach me. And they can listen to you. You've got a podcast series on CBC here in Canada. Yes. Or Canadian Broadcast Company. they just put your name in probably under CBC, would they? Sure, and listen to yep. it? yeah. And, and also um, 
on uh, there is an audible version of of the book for people who don't have the time to read. <laughs> the parents, any parents, usually don't have time to read. I find. Yeah. Um, and both the podcast and the and the book go into way more detail um, about what happened and how 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 it happened. Sarah, thank you so much for being on the show today. I, I, I know that it, this is very informative for the listeners and it will help them, hopefully, to, to navigate th- perhaps through something that they are, their intuition is telling them and it isn't right and to help them see how to find the courage to get out and to, to speak up and find their voice. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. I so Take appreciate care. your time and wonderful... All right. (laughs) Thank you, Sarah. Thank you. So thank you to everyone who's been listening today to Sarah Edmonds talking about her journey as she came out of a cult called Nexium. You've been listening to Where Words Can't Reach, and so tune in next week to hear more about shame and how to free yourself from from that dark side. And thank you once again, all of you, for listening and uh, tuning in. Until next week, signing off. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening this week to Where Words Can't Reach, Shedding Light on Our Dark Side with Dr. Madeline DeLittle. Please join us for another edition of the program next Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll talk again next week.